Saturday at 6. It's time for your weekly music and entertainment fix. Backstage with Sinead Nivorda. With all the best music, interviews and live sessions. Live from the Radio Nova Studios in the Dublin Docklands. Hello and a very good evening to you on this Saturday evening in September. Hope you're all keeping well and enjoying a great weekend. I've got such an exciting show lined up for you. Over the coming hour, you're going to be hearing from Dick Taylor. He was a bass player with the Rolling Stones and founding member of the hugely influential band, The Pretty Things. I'll be chatting to Rich Robinson, guitarist and songwriter of the rock powerhouse that was The Black Crows. I'll have music from Guy Garvey of Elbow. He's just brought out his first uh, solo single. I'll have music from Wolfmother as well, the Grammy award-winning rock band who celebrate the 10th anniversary of their award-winning debut album. Backstage on Radio Nova. So I think we'll get started with some music from The Pretty Things. They've been described as the nastiest, loudest, most controversial and influential band the world has ever seen, has ever looked, or has ever sounded better even, because they're still going. Uh, 51 years later, in 2009, the band were awarded the Hero Award at the Mojo Honours, and the band have been name-checked over the years by an array of great artists, ranging from The Clash, David Bowie and Aerosmith, through to The Libertines and Kasabian. From The Pretty Things, from the 60s, this is their debut single, Rosalind, here on Radio Nova. Incredible sound from the pretty things that is Rosalind, the debut single released by the band. Oh, they haven't only go for 51 years. 
and a mere 120 lucky music lovers were treated to a rare intimate performance from the Pretty Things at Tower Records on Dawson Street just last week and it was the band's way of giving back a bit to the independent record stores and thank them for all the support over their career and this is a band who have influenced so many they've had a huge part influencing everyone from Bowie to the Libertines and impressed on everyone like David Gilmer of Pink Floyd who said the Pretty Things made the Stones look tame um, so you're going to be hearing about how David Bowie actually followed them around um, Dick Taylor was an early bass player for the Stones but left the band for art school and uh, it was an art school where he met up with Phil and formed the Pretty Things and I started off by chatting with Dick Taylor about the fact that Noel Gallagher has been quoted as saying the Pretty Things completely bent my head and Joy Ramones was quoted as saying the Pretty Things were the biggest influence on us they invented garage bands so here is Dick Taylor's response to that the garage thing is quite funny, actually, because we, we weren't really aware that of, of the sort of American garage scene until quite late in the day, really. Right. And we certainly weren't aware that we were this big influence. And it was only later on, I don't know exactly when, that, you know, years after the events sort of thing, that we realised, oh, actually, you know, there were loads of bands who kind of seemed to... Uh, you know, follow us or or find us in it, you know, we were an influence on. Absolutely, um, yeah. Which is kind of a nice thing to happen, really. It must be. I mean, when you hear the likes of, you know, The Clash and Aerosmith through to, you know, more modern bands like The Libertines and Kasabian name-checking you guys, but then having David Bowie cover a couple of your songs and then, yeah. I mean, he apparently was a bit of fan of Phil May, really, wasn't he? Well, we knew he was a fan of us anyway, yeah. <laughs> right from the off, um, because he used to, when we first started out, and we were at, we were at one art school, he was at another art school down the road, which was a kind of rival concern in a way. Oh yeah. But but we first met him, I think, when we did a sort of raid on this other art school of some sort. No way, <laughs> really, Battle of the yeah. Art Schools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Battle of the Art Schools, yeah. Oh. It was all to do with stealing a, stealing a stuffed crocodile. <laughs> Something really dumb, really ridiculous. Looking oh, back on it, anyway. Nice. So we first met him then, um, and then we sort of. Then it was a question of oh, that, that that thin bloke keeps coming to our gigs <laughs> and, <laughs> and kind of bloke. yeah, and um, yeah, and then um, he asked Phil for his number. Phil for Phil's number, and Phil noticed that he wrote it under G for God. <laughs> You're kidding. So Bowie wrote that down, G for God. Yeah, if it, that, Phil's number under <laughs> under. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. So there you go. So. That's pretty amazing. Wow, that's one hell of a compliment. <laughs> so, so did you manage to get a hold of the stuffed gorilla or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It went backwards and forwards, and I remember my my tutor driving us over there in his mini, steering with his knees while rolling a fag. And I thought, oh, oh. my God. Uh, Rock and roll. This is, this is where it all came from. It all started in art school, didn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, loads of people did go to art school. That's a funny thing. I mean, Phil still Phil does his art because one of his pictures is actually the cover of, on the cover of our latest album. No way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. But speaking of art schools, I wanted to ask you actually, just going back to the start a little bit, and I guess pre the pretty things, it's incredible to learn that you were in fact an early bass player with the Rolling Stones. So how, yeah, well, did, how did that all come uh, about? Well, I was actually uh, not an art school, but uh, just, you know, secondary 
what they call grammar school in um, with Jagger right from age 11. So Mick and I was like had mutual a mutual taste in music. Um, he'd bring his Chuck Berry records in and whatever, and sometimes I'd bring stuff in. And all the all the boys in my my form were all into various kinds of music. Um, now I was kind of like I had sort of varied taste, but, but the sort of R and B thing really was my main passion, really, I guess, and and certainly it was for, for for Mick as well. And so we and a couple of friends of mine used to play like initially plastic ukuleles and then <laughs> we progressed to guitars and um so we started a little group which we never had a name for and we just used to go around my, usually around my house and practice and yeah. um, and we did this for ages and ages and like rig up sort of uh, i've still got the record player which mick used to sometimes you know we used to put the microphone through that no way um, yeah, yeah, and um, so we'd have these sort of tiny little amplifiers all play through radios and record players and what have you. And then, um, doing that for years, went to art school. Keith was at art school uh, with us. He, I think it was in the same year as Phil, which is one year younger than me, or one year sort of like, you know, after me joining. So there was Keith, and... Um, but. He was a friend of, of, of Mick's when, when they were really, really young. Um, but when he sort of got to find out that I was still doing this thing, uh, you know, rehearsing with, with, with Mick and friends, and then he was too shy to actually ask, well, can I come along? Because we used to play guitar in the, in the, cloak, in the cloak room in, in, in the art school. And then... Um, and then... Uh, he actually bumped into Mick one day, and we thought it all kind of clicked into place. So then we, so we had Keith, myself, Mick, and so and I was quite often be playing very bad drums because I had kind of inherited a tiny little drum kit from my from my grandfather. Oh, and wow. um, the next thing that happened is we went to um, a club in West London, the Ealing Club, Soilex's Corners back. Corners band and met Brian Jones and um, I think you could probably say the rest is history really. Wow. Um, so Brian actually said can I play bass and I, well I'll give it a go said I because I've never played bass and went out and bought a bass and uh, uh, yeah there you go and we started rehearsing yeah. and then I really wanted I kind of wanted to play guitar and I was trying to get into the Royal College of Art. Um, in the end, I went to the Central School of Art, but um, decided that maybe I should sort of cut down on rehearsing all the while. And then Phil started nagging me to start another band, so we started Pretty Things. Don't blame 
You're backstage at me, Shanae Vorda and Dick Taylor of The Pretty Things and from the band, brilliant single, Don't Bring Me Down. Now, the 60s has been quite a pivotal period for rock and roll and looking back at 1967, 1968, The Pretty Things actually became the first band to create the world's first rock opera, I guess, that whole concept album in the form of the 1968 psychedelic masterpiece, SF Sorrow. So I spoke to Dick Taylor about his memory of recording at the infamous Abbey Road Studios and his experience of the lush musical landscape of the 60s. I mean, it was brilliant you know, like working there. And I think, yes, we obviously realised, hey, we're in Abbey Road, this is a fantastic studio, There are, there's fantastic facilities there, there's a load of very interesting bands, you know, and the Beatles and what have you are, are all working there. So, and, and so it did seem like something quite, you know, quite a special place to be. Um Certainly. I mean, it, it was a fantastic studio. It was kind of different from anywhere else, really, you know, um, because I don't think there was anywhere else which had a whole bunch of studios all working at the same time um, so people could kind of almost feed off one another. Yeah. Not that there was vast amount of, you know, you'd, you'd sort of bump into the Beatles and what have you, <laughs> and they might sort of even have a little listen and... You know, vice versa. Um, but somehow there was a kind of, you know, a whole atmosphere to it. Wow. I mean, did it end up ever being any like late night jamming sessions with any of the former bands? Like, pretty things ever hook up and collaborate with the Beatles? Any of those kind of things not, ever happen? <laughs> not, not there. <laughs> Certainly not there. But I mean, we used to go down, um, there's a club called the Speakeasy, and you used to sort of do jam you know, have a jam session down there. And I remember one day being there and someone said, who's that bloke in the suit who's playing? Oh, that's Eric Clapton, you know. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) man, what a memory. Things like that. And you'd sort of bump into Hendrix and what have you. Oh, Hendrix. What was he like? I thought he was a really, really nice guy, you know. I, I can only remember actually seeing him play a couple of times, one of which was in Paris, where we were, um, we were actually unbelievably, um, we were we were top of the bill. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a terrifying thought a bit, having to having to play after Hendrix. Oh wow! There you go. But um, yeah, and like we seem sort of socially a bit, you know, down places like Speakeasy and, um, and various other venues. He'd be you know, clubs and that. Um, so everybody kind of, to a certain extent, knew one another. Yeah. But the other thing, of course, is that very often you didn't see people play as much as you'd like because, of course, we're all gigging, gigging ourselves, you know. Yeah, music schedules were clash and all that, of course, yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, when I was living in, when I was living in, in um, West London, I, I could literally just walk down the road and go, and, you know, and there was a club called Blazers Club and another one called the Cromwellian and see people like I can see Tina Turner in a tiny little club. Um, I can see her and Solomon Burke and Wilson Pickett. And, oh, no oh, way. And the birds and I uh, saw the doors in, I think it was UFO Club in London. So 
I had to actually catch a tube to go and see them. <laughs> but other than that, I could walk around the corner and see everybody else. Right on your doorstep. How amazing. I'm so jealous, Dick, I have to say. Like, <laughs> I think the 60s are my favourite genre, the favourite time of music, like, and obviously hugely influential. Do you know, I'm going to have to leave it there? My God, it's such a shame I have to stop talking to you. But where do you think you'll reckon you'll come back again and play Dublin? I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, I think we've had a couple of offers to go Ooh, over there nice. already. Um, and if, they, if particularly if there can be a few gigs throughout Ireland or something, um, somehow to, you know, obviously you need to, to make it worthwhile to, to actually come over. Because, yeah. like, we do quite a lot of tours in Germany, but we do, like, two weeks of travelling around and what have you. Yeah. Um, but it'd be lovely to come, you know, yeah. Yeah. We must come back to Ireland. Yeah. Oh, we'd love to have you back. Well, Dick Taylor of The Pretty Things, thank you so much for chatting to me today. That's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. You're an absolute gentleman. Fingers crossed that uh, Pretty Things will come back and play for us once more, maybe in a bigger venue where we'll get our hands on some response and tickets. Now, coming up next, we've got Connor Irwin with the music news. i got some Nirvana as it's linked into that. And yet to come, you'll be hearing from Rich Robinson of The Black Crows. This is Radio Nova. Backstage on Radio Nova.